First Peter 3 and verse 15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So as poor as my effort may be, I still feel obligated to do the best that I can. Uh, you know, we have a wise eldership here. And I can give you an illustration of that. You notice that they, uh, when they're going to have a renowned preacher come in here and speak, they advertise it a couple of weeks before. You know, they let everybody know he's going to be here. But when they're going to use somebody here in the congregation, you don't hear a word said. But there's a reason for that. Because that's just a little insurance to ensure that the, the congregation comes back and is going to be here, see. <laughs> but anyway, I have about six points that I want us to look at. And you say, well, that's going to be long, rather lengthy. And it might be a little bit long. I've been accused of being long-winded. But I hope I'm not as long-winded as one preacher was. They told about, he got up, and he just kept on and on and on and on and on, you know. There's two men sitting in the back, and one of them got up and said, I'm leaving. And the other one said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get a haircut. He's going to get a haircut. And he said, yes, sir. He said, why didn't you get one before you come to church? He said, I didn't need one then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so some people are long-winded, you know. I've got a lot of scriptures that I'm going to bring to our hearing, and you probably won't have time to read them all as we go because I have to travel a little fast. But you could just put the scriptures down if you wish and write them down and then go study them yourself later on in the privacy of your own home. Uh, you know, some of our religious neighbors says that there's nothing to do in religion. You know, you can't control your salvation. That you're, you're either going to be saved or you're going to be lost. You're predestined to that. But there's nothing that man can do. But there's, that's far from the truth, you know. There's a lot of things. God has his part. But man also has a part which he has to do also. Brother Terry read in our hearing there about in the 16th chapter of Acts for the Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer. And in verse 30 there he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then probably the most quoted verses in the New Testament would be in Acts 2.38, you know, where he says... Right prior to that, in verse 37, he says, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So then Peter's reply was in 38, To repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot to do. But point number one, we need to believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures. If we don't believe in the Scriptures, uh, that they're inspired of God, then everything else is done for naught. In second, uh, uh, in second Timothy three, sixteen, he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. In John five and verse thirty nine, he says, "Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me." In Acts 17 and verse 11, it says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. You know, friends, life is short. Every day we're one day nearer to our salvation, the Bible says. 
from the day we're born, we're one day near. It, James says in James 4 and verse 14, he says, What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little while, and then vanisheth away. Hebrews, I heard a brother this morning quoting Hebrews 9.27 back there. He said, it says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment comes, of course. You know, the Word is a discerner of the heart. The Scripture is. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing sunder of both soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So that, that, that word, you know, uh, Brother Keeble used to say, is sharper than a two-edged sword meant that it would cut coming and going. Coming and going, he said. But that's true, it cuts either way, you know. And it's the standard by which we're going to be judged. That word is going to abide forever. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It's eternal in nature. And then in Psalms 19, 14, he says, Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Then Brother uh, Colonel quoted uh, Psalms 119, 105 there this morning in his prayer. He said, Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that will lead us from earth to heaven. So it's our guide, isn't it? Friends, we can't direct our own steps. Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, verse 23, he says, O Lord, I know it's not in the way of man, for it is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. We can't do it. We've got to have somebody to lead us. The Word is, is the power of God. It's His dynamos, uh, which means it's a dynamite, His dynamite. The Word is the power of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Psalms 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect concerning converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, he says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's the only authorization we thing that we are authorized to speak, as the oracles of God, as the Bible directs us. You know, in Matthew 4 and 11, along in there, when Christ was tempted of the devil, his answer every time was, It is written, didn't he? Get thee behind me, Satan, you know. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And uh, so we have to speak as the oracles of God. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. It's an offensive weapon. And it can also be a defensive weapon. In Ephesians 6 and verse 17, he says, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're not to take away from that Word or we're not to add to it. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 tells us that. It says, if, if any man shall take away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and the holy city and the things that are written in the book. In verse 19, then he says, if any man adds to the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall add the plagues that are written in this book to him. And certainly, we're not authorized to, to tamper with God's word, you know. Paul talked about a group one time. He said that, 
perverted the gospel of Christ. They twisted it to read and to, talk, to speak like they wanted it to. So number one, to believe in the inspiration of the gospel. Number two, we need to be truly converted. A lot of people come into the church and they're never, they've never been converted. You can't see any change in them. Conversion means change. There has to be a change. We need a clean heart. In Psalms 51 and verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need to become as little children. You know little children are very humble and they're forgiving, and the adults can learn a great lesson from that. He says in Matthew 18.3, Except you become converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have to have the right attitude. Little children are candid, you know. They'll tell you the truth, even if it hurts. There's a story about the preacher went home with this family on Sunday, you know, and I might have told some of you this before, but I'll tell everybody. Uh, and uh, the, the woman of the house, she wanted to show the little girl off a little bit, you know. And she says, honey, would you like to say, ask the blessing? And she said, well, mother, what would I say? She said, well, just say what your mother would say. She bowed her head and said, Oh, Lord, do we have to have that preacher and all them kids here again today? <laughs> so if you don't want to, the truth, don't ask a little child, you know, of anything like that. Then and to be truly converted, we have to come, become as little children. We have to be born again. In John 3, 1 through 8, 1 through 7, it says there that there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said, Good Master, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, for no man doeth these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus said, Very, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And he said, how, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto you, that ye must be born again. Born of the water and of the Spirit. That's John 3, 1 through 7. We're not to be shaped or formed to this world either. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you pre present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So most of the time, somebody pointed out, we let the world set the standard, and then we try to shape ourselves, fashion ourselves to that standard. But we need to let the Bible set the standard and then shape our lives according to God's standard. Then we need to put on Christ. We have to put on Christ if we're going to be truly converted. In Galatians 3 and verse 26, he says, For you are all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's the way we put Christ on in baptism. We need to be buried in baptism. Romans 6 says, uh, 1 through 6. He says there in Romans 6, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not as many as us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ 
was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should also rise to walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together with him in the likeness of his death, right back here, then we shall be with him also in the likeness of his resurrection. And that's the glorious day that we're all looking for, you know. So we need to believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. We need to be truly converted. Number three, we need to put away the things of the world. It's a materialistic world that we live in today. Friends, you know that. Everything is based on how much advantage I can get over you, you know, or how much money I can make from this deal or so forth. But in 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, these things are of the world and not of the Father. He said, The world and the lust thereof are going to pass away. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. So there it is right there. Any sin, as Brother Fred pointed out this morning, that any sin that we commit falls into one of those three categories. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, or the pride of life. And certainly we have to be aware. Then in Ephesians 4.25, you know, sad to say, some of our brethren are not too truthful. And that is really bad to say. In the church you'll find people that will lie to you. But uh, in Ephesians 4.25, he says, Put away lying. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. He says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil, he said. And then in uh, Ephesians uh, 4, verse 28, he said, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather labor with his hands the things that are good that he may have to give to those that needeth. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Then to put away the things of the world, we have to put it. We don't. We can't love it. We have to. We we can't love money either. In First Timothy six and verse ten, he says here, "For the love of money, not money, but for the love of money, is the root of all evil, which some having coveted after have erred from the faith, and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows." So when we get to the point where we love money so good, it becomes our god. It's going to lead us away from God, and it's going to pierce us through with many sorrows. Then we're not to lay up treasures here. In Matthew 6, 19, 20, and 21, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then we have to resist the devil in putting away the things of the world. You know, he'll overcome us if we just sit back and relax. And we're not ignorant of his devices, as the Bible says. But in James 4 and verse 7, he says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. We talked about a double-minded man this morning in our Bible class. And that uh, that's, of course, in James 4 and verse uh, 7. Then also, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he said, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, he's going on the prowl back and forth. And if we're weak, he's going he's gonna to get the weeks first, of course. <clears throat> 
Then he says that we are to put on the whole armor of God. In Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 13 through 17, he talks about uh, this armor of God. Uh, uh, he said that uh, starts off with there in verse 13, Wherefore take on you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, and having done all to stand. And then he starts off, Standing therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then he says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, that ye may be able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. And then he said in verse 17, the key verse here, And take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he says. Isn't that something? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. In Jude 3, this is Jude 1 too, by the way, Brother Fred. <laughs> There's only one chapter in Jude, Brother Fred says that's not found in Jude 2. But anyway, in Jude 3, he says here that, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful that I write unto you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. All right, now there's a term that's applied to Christianity right there. It's a contention. It's a fact. See, we're going to get into a little bit of that later on. But that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Number four, we need to hold fast the profession of faith. There's another term for the Christian life. It's a profession. We need to hold fast the profession of faith. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering, for he is just that has promised. You know, some men don't keep their promises. But in 2 Peter 3.9, it says God is not slack concerning his promises. As some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to a knowledge of the truth. He said, for, you know, the earth is going to be destroyed there. He tells us, you know, that uh, he's, it's going to be destroyed by fire and uh, burned up. And then he, he goes right on down in the verses following that, 10 or 11, somewhere along there, and he says, seeing that these things shall uh, come to pass, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? But he said it's going to be destroyed. It's, uh, it's with a loud noise is the way he describes it. Then we need to hold fast this profession of faith. We need to be steadfast. Not wishy-washy, not in today and out tomorrow. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says that we're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So our, work, our labors will pay dividends in the Lord. In Revelation 2.10, in holding fast the profession of faith, we need to be steadfast, but we need to be faithful unto death too. Revelation 2.10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall receive tribulation ten days, which is just a period of time, a figurative time. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Then we need to suffer as a Christian, like you all are doing right now. <laughs> you know, he says there back in, in 1 Peter 4, 15, he said, 
Let none of you suffer as a murderer or an evildoer or a busybody in other men's matters. <laughs> but then he said in 16, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but rather glorify God in this behalf. And we touched a little bit on that this morning, on temptations, you know. Uh, God doesn't tempt us, but the devil tempts us. And then he says in James 1 and verse 12, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. We need to be able to hear it said, well done. You know, back in Matthew, the 25th chapter, he talks about the parable there of the talents, the one-talent man, the two-talent man, the five-talent man. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. Because they used their talent. But the one talent man, of course, as you know, the story went and hid his talent, and it didn't do him any good. In Matthew 7, 21, a verse we use quite a bit, he says, Not everyone that saith in me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. He said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, haven't we prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, Depart from me. I never knew you, ye that worketh iniquity. So, verse 24, he goes on and follows that up with about three or four more verses from 7.21 to 27. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat up on the house, and it fell not, because it was founded upon a rock. But whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, I will liken him unto a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat up on the house, and it fell. And great was the fall thereof, the Bible tells us. Number five out of six. We need to fight the good fight of faith. You notice the terms that the Bible uses for the Christian life? He, he's already used a couple. It's a profession. And now it's, it's, it's also a fight. It's a race. It's a calling. And we'll probably get into some more. But we need to fight this good fight of faith. First Timothy 6 and verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. To lay hold on something, we've got to reach out there and get a hold of it, see. Wherefore thou art also, thou art also called and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. So there the Christian life is referred to as a, as a profession. And in, in, in fighting this good fight of faith, we need to run this race. It's also referred to, as I said, a race. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, Wherefore, seeing that we are all compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every sin and the weight that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're not to be fooled either. You know, in Galatians 3.1, Paul talked about some people that were fooled. He said, you foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? You know, 
O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? There's somebody out there all the time wanting to bewitch us or deceive us or lead us into some false doctrine, you know. I don't care what you preach, you would have followers. If you just went out there and preached anything, somebody would follow you. But we have to follow the pattern that's laid down before us, you know. Moses was told to use the pattern, you know. He told them to use the pattern. So we need to be run with patience this race. We don't need to be bewitched. We need to be kind one to another. You'd be surprised how, how rude people can be sometimes. You know, some people wouldn't give you the time of day, you know. As the old saying used to be, they wouldn't give you air if you was in a jug. You probably heard that. But uh, we're, not, we're not to be that way. We're to be a happy people, an open people, a, a benevolent people, you know. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Have you ever thought about that, you know? God could have said, why? They're, going, they're, going to, they're determined to be lost anyway. I'll just forget about them. But he didn't. He gave his only begotten son on the cross that we could have that perfect plan of salvation whereby we could have forgiveness of sin and hope of eternal life. So we need to be kind to one another. And then number six, we need to make our calling and our election sure. In Second Peter 1 and 10, well, in Second Peter uh, 1, uh, beginning with about verse 5 there, he says, and giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, kindness, godliness, and godliness to brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. That's the things we ought to be in. Uh, and then he said uh, in verse 10, following that, Wherefore the rather, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, we just what we just enumerated, these Christian graces, if you do these things, ye shall never fall. But he says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, having forgotten that he hath been purged from his old sins. And so uh, we need to walk worthy then of the vocation wherein we're called. We need to make our calling election sure. In order to do that, we have to walk worthy of this vocation. There's a Christ another term for the Christian life, a vocation. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, he says. He said, uh, For there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all above you all, through you all, and in you all. Brother Keeble said the Lord must have been a southerner. Using all them you alls, he said. <laughs> he might have had a point there, you know. But that's, I just injected that, you know, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> There's one body and one spirit. What this Ephesians uh, uh, is teaching here in Ephesians 4, it's a teaching the unity of the church, you know. We're all to be of the same mind, the same judgment. We're all to speak the same things. There's to be no schisms or no separation uh, in the body, see. Then we, in order for us to uh, to uh, make our call in election, sure, we have to be called out of darkness. But you might ask the question, well, how are we called? You know, some people say they just hear a voice from out of the clouds, you know. 
and telling them what to do. I don't think it's that way. In Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verse 14, he says, Wherefore he called you, Paul says, Wherefore he called you by our gospel. And he said, To the obtaining of the glory of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, is what he said actually, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called by the gospel, we're called out of darkness. You know, sin is referred to as darkness. Righteousness is referred to as light in the scriptures. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, he says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We're strained, you know. That you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that great? When we become a Christian, he calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we're to be obedient to that call too. It won't do us any good if we just hear and don't do. James says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him is sin. And it's just like a doctor writing a prescription and if you don't take advantage of that prescription and, and you know, take it to the drugstore and use it, why, well, it's, it's useless, it's worthless, see. Same way of the gospel. We have to take advantage of that blood of Christ that was shed for us. Then in the, uh, we, we said before, we already quoted before Matthew seven twenty one that not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father. That's the one that's going to enter heaven. The ones that Peter said in, in Acts 10, 34 and 35, he says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In Ecclesi- I like Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, where the writer here, Solomon, says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Friends, we can't hide nothing to God. Another verse of Scripture says that all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God knows all, see. That's the, that's the whole of it, to, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Then if we do that, there's a crown of righteousness that is laid up for us. Very familiar verses probably that you have heard many times, but it don't hurt to hear them again. Second Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 through 8. He says, therefore, he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away from the truth and turn unto fables. In verse 5 he says, Watch there then in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill thy ministry. Then Paul says, For I, the time I die, my departure is at hand. He said, I fought a good fight, I've Kept the faith, I, you know, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. You know, there's mansions prepared for us. You ever thought about that? 
you know, we, we live in some pretty good houses here sometimes. We've lived in some, some bad ones too, you know. But there's mansions prepared for us. This is one of what I refer to as one of the precious promises of the Bible. In John 14, 1 through 6, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Christ talking. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus' reply was, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In conclusion, friends, I can't think of any better words for an uh, invitation. We always extend the invitation of of uh, God's invitation. It's not ours, of course. You, you know that. But in Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know the condition of any, anybody's condition here to this, this day, but I do know one thing. That today is a day of salvation, and we're one day nearer to our salvation than once when we first believed. And now is the accepted time. Today is a day of salvation. You know, it might be that you have once tasted of the good graces of, of, of God and that you have been a, a Christian but that you have allowed sin to enter into your lives through the weakness of the flesh or whatever and caused us to go back into sin and that you desire, you need and desire the prayers of the church to, for them to pray with you and for you. Or it could be that you've never named the name of Christ. And I don't think we ought to close any, any lesson or any service uh, in, like that, like this rather, without uh, letting people know what the plan of salvation is. You know, first of all, we have to hear the gospel. You know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. We have to believe that. Except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins, Christ said. We have to repent. He says, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5 repeats it. And then he says we need to confess the name of Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then, of course, that cultivating act that places one into the church and into the body of Christ is baptism that people make such a big stir about when it's such a simple thing. Baptism. And we talked about that in Romans 6, 1 through 6. It also talks about it, of course, in Acts 2.38, uh, Colossians 2.12, uh, Galatians 3.27, uh, Acts 22 and 16, you know, where he told Paul, Why tarest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you need to respond to the gospel, do so while we stand and sing.